Hey, this is Tom Kiefer, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another edition of Focus on Metal. Sure, many of you are scurrying about trying to get some of your holiday shopping done. And to uh, to help you with that, I've got a few pointers this week. If uh, you're a big Tom Kiefer or a big Cinderella fan, then we've got uh, Tom on the show this week talking about the uh, deluxe edition, the re-release of his uh, 2013 solo album, the way life goes, got some good product that he uh, he put out. He's on the show this week talking about it. So maybe that's something to uh, to put on either your list or uh, something to get somebody else. But anyways, uh, Richie does a good job running down the story of this thing with Tom this week. And beyond that, you know, track of the week. So giving you a little pointer to a new release. And then uh, after our Tom Kiefer interview, I figured that I would uh, round the show out with a few more new great metal releases that came out in the October, November, December time frame. Give you a few more ideas, like I said, to either uh, to either put on your list to have somebody else get your little uh, metal fingers on, or of course to uh, to buy and give to the metalheads in your life. So yeah, Cole, I know, yeah, you know, you hit us up and uh, talked about how much money we've caused you to spend this year, and here we are as we uh, as we get towards the end of the year and uh, trying to. Have you spend even more money? I hear you, buddy. Spent a lot of it myself this year, and I'm sure that uh, there's no end in sight for the for the metal spending. But uh, that is what we have for you this week on episode 359, as uh, we have just a few short weeks before we close out 2017. So that's it. That is the schedule for this week. Do a little track of the week. Do a nice uh, half hour or so interview with Tom Kiefer. And uh, talking all about his new The Way Life Goes Deluxe Edition. And uh, then after that, like I said, we'll uh, we'll round it out with uh, a few choice selections from some uh, new folks, as well as the return of some old folks, and uh, I don't know, then people in between as well. And as long as we're talking about some potential great gifts for metalheads in your lives, or even for yourself, again, kind of keep that theme going. also want to remind you that... Uh, Bob Nelbandian's next part of Inside LA Metal is due to hit in January, January 19th. So you might want to think about hopping on to a dealer for that and pre-ordering it so you know that it's already on its way. And And I've actually been able to see the uh, part one of that, and it is fantastic, just killer, fantastic guest just some of the luminaries of thrash and speed metal in that one. Once again, Bob and the folks at Metal Rock Films have done an insanely good job of putting together their uh, the next part of that documentary. And as I mentioned just a second ago, just they've gone out and talked to just so many people. A lot of people that were in the first couple of episodes of Inside Metal because, of course, they are crucial to the story and they're ongoing to it. But also just... A whole bunch of other people that uh, you haven't seen yet that were really 
intrinsic to the story of thrash metal in LA or even just thrash metal period. So just really good stuff. So again, go out and pre-order yourself a copy of part one of Inside Metal, The Rise of LA Thrash Metal. And uh, last I heard from Bob, part two of that will be due in March. So good stuff to, uh, to look forward to. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoy another week with us right here on Focus on Metal. So what do you say? Let's do a track of the week. All right. Easy pick this week for track of the week. Guys may remember that back in November, Primal Fear put out Best of Fear. Great new one from those guys. Two CDs. Basically going back to the last 10 years of great Primal Fear music. Divided up in kind of an interesting order. CD1, it's got four brand new tracks, including the uh, the cover of uh, Heart's song, If Looks Could Kill, which uh, we played uh, weeks ago here on Focus on Metal, as well as uh, just kind of all their favorite rockers from the last 10 years. And those are all, like I said, they're all on uh, on the first CD, so good stuff like The End Is Near, uh, In Metal We Trust, Angels of Mercy, yeah, Rule Breaker, King for a Day. Yeah, you get the idea. And then, of course, CD2 is all the epic songs, as they call them, with the long songs. So they've got, like, Every Time It Rains, they've got uh, Simone Simons on that one. Fighting the Darkness, the long version of Fighting the Darkness. Uh, Hands of Time, Where Angels Die. Uh, they did a remix with uh, with Liv Christine of Born with a Broken Heart. So, like I said, just kind of the more the epic, the long primal fear song so whatever side of fear you like you kind of got them on on either cd if you like them all well great you got two cds of uh of great primal fear for you and uh, so i just figured you know wow what are we gonna pick we're gonna pick a classic primal fear thing or roll out a brand new song and uh yeah you know when it comes down to it although i could just probably just do a whole entire uh month of nothing but primal fear figured i would play you a brand new one off of the two cd new compilation the best of fear and this one is called thrill of speed
right, nothing like a little primal fear for track of the week. So why don't we move on to our main event for the week, and that is Richie's chat with Tom Kiefer. Of course, most of you guys know Tom Kiefer as the guitarist and vocalist for Cinderella, but Tom's done a lot of solo stuff, been around touring like crazy with his solo band over the last couple years, and uh, recently, you know, well, sort of recently, uh, well, he's been kind of working on it for a long time, as uh, Richie and uh, Tom will get into with the interview, but uh, just kind of working through his uh, his solo release of The Way Life Goes. You know, we went back, he revisited it, and uh, just really did a good job of putting together a pretty pretty nice package. So, you know, disc one, he's got uh, 17 tracks on there, so all the stuff from the original release, as well as uh, went and stopped in the studio and did a really uh, cool version of Nobody's Fool with uh, Lizzie Hale from uh, Hailstorm. He he talks about that with Richie in the interview. Does another track uh, with a little help from my friends, and then a piano version of Nobody's Fool. So threw those in on on top of everything else that was on the original on the original album. And then also, if you get the deluxe edition, then uh, you've get basically an, another second disc, which is uh, basically there's a the documentary and there's a whole bunch of music videos and lyric videos and some live stuff. So, uh, so pretty cool DVD as well as a CD. And uh, so again, a nice, really crisp, cool package that uh, Tom Kiefer, uh, as well as uh, I guess with some serious help from his wife has, has put out uh, via Cleopatra. So uh, why don't I just, uh, why don't I stop yakking about this one? Because Richie does a really great job of covering all the story with uh, with Tom about this CD and everything else going on with the uh, with the Tom Kiefer band, or I should say, hashtag Tom Kiefer band. But anyways, like I said, Richie does a great job covering it, and uh, Tom is also uh, just pretty forthright. Has a uh, talks a lot about everything going on, so it's always great when you get an interview with the artist is more than willing to talk about everything. So with that, why don't I turn the mic over to Richie as he talks with Tom Kiefer? Is this Richie? Yeah, is that Tom? Yes. Tom, nice, nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, you're in uh, Nashville? Uh, yes. That's that's home for you? Yeah, I've lived here for, well, since 1997. Okay. Were you in L.A. before that? No, actually, uh, Philadelphia. Oh, you never moved to L.A.? No. Uh-uh. You, you had sense? <laughs> uh-huh. You had sense? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I just, you know... I don't know, I've worked out there, you know, a lot of cool studios out there and spent a little time out there, but never had the desire to move there. Okay, okay. No, I've, I've a lot of musicians I speak to, a lot of them are are, ba- are still based out there. Yeah, um, well, yeah, there's a cool, I guess there's a cool music scene out there. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of musicians are in Nashville now, a lot of, well, a lot of guys known for the 80s music. Yeah, Nashville is a uh, is a pretty creative town. I moved here in the you know, like I said, in the mid '90s. I started working with people here, songwriters, and uh, and just picked up here and moved one day because it just was a a great source of inspiration with all the great musicians and writers here. So nice, nice. So, uh, how many guitars do you have at home, Tom? Oh, uh, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't counted them in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, I mean, between what I tour with and what I have in my studio, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 guitars, maybe wow. something like that. Yeah, do you have a favorite one that you like to write music on? 
Um, well, you know, songs come to me lyrics first, and then depending on what the emotion, I guess, of the lyric is or what I'm writing about, I'll, I'll go to whatever instrument I think will express that emotion. So, you know, if it's a heavy rocking song, you know, I'll probably pick up a Les Paul or Telecaster or something, or if it's, you know, ballad, I might go to an acoustic or a piano. Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, in kind of that sound that you're looking for that expresses the emotion of the lyric is usually dictates what I write on. There's not any one particular thing that I write on. Yeah, yeah. And have you ever gone out on, on the road or you've gone into some music shop somewhere and like you've struck gold and, and, and found a guitar that you can't you actually can't believe you actually found it. Has that ever, that ever happened to you? Well, nothing like um, you know, those stories you hear where it's a fifty nine less sunburst less Paul that they're selling for, you know, three hundred dollars. Nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I have found things along the road. Um I remember in Japan actually buying a 59 Sunburst over there in like 89 and uh, uh, they were going for a lot more money over there at the time than they were here, like twice as much. And I, I remember just haggling with the guy for about two hours and finally, <laughs> <laughs> finally got him to cut the price like in half. I think he just wanted to get rid of me. Yeah. Did you, did <laughs> so uh, you so that was, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen, but I had a good time kind of like, you know, trying to wear him down, and they and he actually did. He actually let it go for what I wanted to pay for it. So that yeah. was surprising, actually. You still play it a lot? <clears throat> uh, I don't actually have that one. Uh, that one in a trade years ago, I think, for a White Falcon. Okay. Um, I do still have the '59 that I played on tour and all the, the Cinderella records, and I, I also used it on my. Uh, solo record the way life goes so um yeah i still have the my main one but i've i've, I've had a few that have come and gone gone the, the 59s i've had five or six over the years oh nice nice so of course i have you on to talk about uh the way life goes the deluxe edition um uh-huh. what, what was your initial thought when the label approached you to actually doing a deluxe edition of the album well that was actually that was actually our call to do um the label had kind of gone south at that point the label that initially released the record in 2013 they they did a great job you know it took like nine or ten years to make the record because there was no label involved so savannah and i had a lot of our own time and money tied up in creating this record over you know many years just kind of a work in progress and so the label that released it in 2013 did a great job out of the box and the record was really uh, received really well by the press and and the fans and uh, radio uh, played solid ground and the flower song and just when things were going super <laughs> there was a, a little bit of a business shifting or corporate shakeup uh, above uh, the, that owned the label and the record got caught in the middle of it and it was um you know we were about to lose the master and we had to uh you know long story short we had a lawyer up and kind of you know get our masters back and uh, the record hasn't been available for the last two years okay so i mean prior to that we had discussed maybe doing an expanded edition but not you know nothing really you know that definitive plan. So when we got the masters back last year, we finally got them back last year in 2016. And, you know, we'd been hearing 
we kept touring through this period and we kept hearing fans say, cause we play a lot of this stuff in the show, obviously. And, you know, we'd get fans saying, you know, I love the new stuff. Can't find the record or even people saying I bought this in iTunes and it disappeared from my iTunes. So it was just a mess. And we finally got the masters returned to us last year. And we thought, you know, what, you know, we, we had to go shop for a new label and distribution to get it back up on the shelves. And, we we decided at that point that we would do the deluxe edition and uh, we went in last year and recorded the bonus tracks that are on it, the duet of Nobody's Fool with Lizzie Hale and uh, Help From My Friends, uh, which is a song we've been doing for, you know, every night in the encore with, with my solo band. Yeah. And, you know, put together the, the DVD and Tammy Vega filmed the sessions last year of us recording the those bonus tracks with Vance Powell and Lizzie and my band and there's a documentary. So, you know, we just thought while we're putting it back up on the shelves, you know, we would do the deluxe thing. So that was actually our, yeah. our call. Yeah. And and it, was, it was a lot of fun to create it, you know, cause we, we tried to add things to it that were inspired by the release, you know, which is why we chose those two songs. Cause they were part of the touring for the record. And yeah, so, now, there's going to be fans out there, and in general, when it comes to deluxe editions, I'm always like, oh, I kind of like, oh, really? I've already bought the record, and now you're going to release right. it as a deluxe edition? Was, were you yeah. conscious of that when you were getting this together? Um, I mean, not really. Um, I know, I, I do, I am aware that some people have that feeling, like it's just, you know, buy the record again kind of thing. And with this, you know, I understand that because I know a lot, most deluxe editions that I've seen are pretty minimal effort and it's not all of them, but a lot of them where it's just like, Hey, here's a couple of tracks that were left over from the original sessions and Hey, buy the record again. And that's not really what, the, I don't know if you have the actual physical package with the DVD and all the new artwork, but we, we spent the better part of last year really uh, creating something that was pretty special and unique with the, the artwork that David Calcano did and the DVD with the documentary and different from a lot of deluxe editions that the songs that we put on as bonus tracks are newly recorded tracks. And we chose help from my friends and nobody's fool because they were things that happened along the trail, the tour trail um, and kind of came about as a result of touring for the record. So they felt like they were unique or special to this record or the tour. And we went in with a, you know, we hired a great producer and um, both of those songs are things that fans have asked for studio recordings from the, from the first time I stepped foot on stage with Lizzie and did nobody's full live fans have been asking for a studio version and the same thing with a little help from my friends. So, you know, we, we thought over the years about recording them, but it's like, well, what do you do with them? And the deluxe edition, it made sense. It was like, oh, here's a place where those two songs would kind of make sense to be part of this package. So, and, you know, also, you know, like I said, we did have the issue where the record went away for like two years. So we just, you know, in our minds, while we're putting it back up, let's make it better than it was before. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been wanting this record. So it's, it's not just aimed at you know, people who have already bought it. It's, you know, same that new people, too, in our minds. I count the fallen tears They fall before my eyes Seem like a thousand years Since we broke the ties 
Yeah. Did, did you feel the, Did you ever feel the need to maybe add a few new, uh, newly written studio tracks to it? Um, you know, I, I just didn't think that that makes sense with this. I'd, I'd rather save those. We are planning on absolutely um, doing a follow-up record to The Way Life Goes. Uh, we we kind of got our sights set on the end of next year to start that. And there's been some writing along the way done, but it, it, it just didn't really make sense to put new songs on this. Um, yeah. The ones that we picked, we thought made sense, and we put a lot of time and energy into making you know sure that they were recorded and produced really well yeah now I, I've watched the DVD and one of the things I loved about it was that all of the band had their say that it wasn't just you yeah well you know that's the thing is this band was magic from night one and we've had a great chemistry from the first night of rehearsals um, on and off stage and it, I mean, they have just inspired me beyond, you know, I, I just love working with them and traveling with them. And they, you know, the, those studio sessions that you watched, that's the first time that the touring band's been recorded. And I really wanted to do it right. That's why we brought in Vance Powell's, you know, Grammy, nom- you know, Grammy winning, you know, seasoned mm-hmm. um, producer. And, you know, I, I really wanted to make sure that, we went in there and did it right. And like I said, we spent, you know, a lot of time and energy uh, to make sure that those tracks, which I think both of them are pretty special versions. And like I said, fans have been asking for them over and over. So, you know, I believe if you're going to do something, you do it right. So we brought in Vance and went to a a Southern ground studio, which is an amazing studio here in Nashville and then camped out for a few days and, and really did it right. And, and the band, you know, it was, it was great to see, that the chemistry that the band has live translated into the studio, because that's not always the case. And the original record, the way that goes was made with session players over that nine or 10 years that Stan and I were writing and producing that record. So it was the first time I recorded with them and it was, it was amazing. And it was like probably the best studio experience I've ever had. Wow. So why do you feel the need Tom to still have someone produce you? Surely at this stage, you'd be able to self-produce. Well, the way life goes was self-produced um, by Savannah. Savannah and I wrote this, you know, wrote most of the record together, but we wrote with some other people, and we were producing it for the most part ourselves. We had Chuck Turner was a third person in there producing the original record, and you know, we wanted when we wanted to do these bonus tracks, we had very little time. Uh, Lizzie had like one day in her schedule that she could squeeze in coming into the studio to record nobody's fool and we our touring schedule was kind of crazy so you know the way life goes when we were self-producing and there was no label involved we spent nine years making the damn record so <laughs> because you don't have to you know i mean it, it's just like we left no stone unturned and we just experimented and all and this was a situation where it was like okay we've got like two or three days that works for everyone's schedule you know let's get in there and bang it out and and you know Sometimes the artist or the writer, or you know, not always objective. So it's nice to have that person that's just going to kind of crack the whip and go, you know, that's a great performance. That's not boom, 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 boom. And Savannah and I were very relieved to give up, you know, that hat for these sessions. And more or less, you know, I went back to like the days of Andy Johns or Gary Lyons or, you know, the great producers that I've worked with in the past where you just walk into the studio and you just trust that person. 
and that's a nice feeling after what we went, you know, what, what we did with the way life goes, because that was like a never ending, you know, and Savannah and I were just like, let's just, let's do it. Let's do this different. You know, we don't really have time to mess around here. Yeah. No, but I I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change how we did the way life goes because I'm really happy with the way the original record came out. And that was a real journey and a process that was really fun to do to just say, there's no label, there's nobody in charge. We're just going to do whatever the hell we want. And when it's when we feel it's what we want, it's done, you know, and, and that was cool, too. Yeah. So. Now, you, you dedicated the deluxe edition. I have it in my hand, actually, to Andy Johns. And I've had a lot of people on the show who work with him and they all have different stories about him. But I am curious to what exa- what do you think he, he you learned from working with him that you brought to what you do now? Because he would have been really young when you did night songs and a long, cold winter. <laughs> Well, you know, we were really green when we walked into the studio with Andy and our demos were terrible and we had no idea, you know, it's like when you're that young, you you, you roll into a club and you set your gear up on stage and the, the adrenaline of the crowd, you just play and it's rock and roll and it sounds great to you up there and it sounds great to the people up front, but capturing that is an art and it's that's why it's called the recording arts. So that's why you have producers and engineers, you know, because it's so much more of a microscope in the studio. And I, you know, I remember the first time like pulling my Marshall into a studio and I know what it sounds like live on stage. And then you put a mic up to it and you listen to it through the studio speakers and you go, man, that's not what my amp sounds like. (laughs) So, you know, it's such a microscope and it's so different. And, you know, there's so many things that you don't think about. So going in with Andy, you know, we learned really everything that first record and um you know the the quote that i put of his in the on the deluxe edition is my favorite thing one of my favorite things he ever said to me which is you know we were just it was like early in the morning you know we were working the graveyard shift and he just kept making me play this part over and over and over and he could see i was getting frustrated and he he said that line that's on the package it says you know what we're what we're trying to accomplish here thomas is that when the listener gets to the end of the record, they pick the needle up and put it back at the beginning. So, you know, it's that thing of like creating this thing that's so infectious that you want to hear it over and over. And, you know, the gift of a producer is knowing when that's going down and when it's not, you know. Um, So to me, that's the most important thing is when a producer knows that that's the performance that's going to really make people want to hear it. Yeah, it's, over over. it's interesting you say that, Tom, because about a month ago, I interviewed Doug Aldridge, guitar player, and he, he did the House of Lords album, I think, in 89 with Andy. And yes, he I said, remember. He said Andy went up into the studio, practically up to Doug's face. This is what Doug said to me. And he said, mm-hmm. no matter what, I am here for you. We're not going anywhere until we get this right. And he said that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Doug, Doug said to me, he said, no one had ever said that to him before because it was all, we got to get this done. This is costing us money. And, and Andy said, screw that. I just want to make sure that it gets done right. He said, that's what well, he remembered with Andy. Well, and that goes back to the quote. And that's how Andy was all in and he had more passion for music than, than anyone I think I've ever met. I mean, I remember working up in Woodstock at Bearsville and they had these little cottages and apartments that we stayed in. You know, we'd work 12-hour day, 14-hour day, go have dinner. Everyone would be tired. And, you know, by the, by the 
late that night, you know, the last thing you want to do is listen to any music. Not Andy, man. He would have the he would have the roughs of the day. You could hear him in his room listening to the stuff over and over, making notes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he was so dedicated. And you know, it's that you know that if, if anything, like what Doug said about him, you know that uh, that idea of you're, we're here until it's right. I, I that's something for sure that I learned from Andy, and you know, I mean, I think the way life goes is proof of that because Savannah and I spent <laughs> nine or ten years <laughs> working on that, and you know, with our own money we were spending, and we didn't give a fuck, you know. And yeah. It was it was all about the art, and we spent a fortune and and tons of time, but it was just about the music, and I think that I learned that from Andy, and he was a true artist. And he was like, fuck the label, fuck the budget, you know, and we're going to get this right. So, um, and until people want to pick that needle up and put it back at the beginning over and over and over. And he would say that he liked to imitate late at night when he was a bit tipsy and smoking cigarettes. He would, he'd like to imitate John Hausman. So he would, you know, when he said that to me, and I think I put that in the quote on the liner notes, he would say, Thomas. <laughs> yeah. What we're trying to accomplish here, and he'd be imitating uh, John Houseman. So <laughs> now he was, he was um, put the needle back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a character, and I loved him, and I, I miss him almost every day. I think about Andy. He certainly changed my life, and he was like Doug Aldridge said, he was there for you. 24-7 for the music and he wanted to get it right. So. Fantastic. ask you about one of the tracks on, on The Way Life Goes, Babylon. and that's, mm-hmm. You've co-rated that with Doug Gordon. Is that the Doug Gordon from Tangier? Yes, sir, it is. All right. Very good. Uh, one of my best friends and uh, he's a very talented songwriter and um, guitarist. So, right. yep, that's him. All right. I, I love that band. I thought that Four Winds album and, and Andy Johns did that as well. I thought that Four Winds album was amazing. That was killer, yeah. And it just never happened for him. So I just want to talk to you a little bit, Tom, about 
there's, it's no secret you've had, you had voice issues in the past. I don't want to get into the, the physical aspect of that, but mentally dealing with that, like, are, are you an optimistic person by nature anyway? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I try to, you know, I, I always try to look at the bright side of things or find the silver lining in things. Um, certainly, you know, when, when I was told I would never sing again due to that neurological condition, so there's no medical treatment for it, you know, got a limp vocal cord, and they told me I would never sing again, it was kind of at the height of Cinderella's career. It was, you know, the Heartbreak Station tour, um, it was record was critically acclaimed and you know i thought it was probably our, our best work in terms of really capturing that dry raw rock and roll thing and i loved the songs on it and was very proud of that and the and the record was just you know doing really well and we were touring and then i and then all of a sudden i'm told you know you're never gonna sing again so you know you don't always find the silver lining immediately because you're you know you're trying to deal with the problem at hand but i think you know at the end of the day i learned a lot of things from that i certainly learned patience because there's no exact science to overcoming a, a paresis of a vocal cord and um it has to do with training and determination and working with every speech pathologist and vocal coach you can find and you know at the end of the day i, I think you know everybody wants a quick fix for everything and um, in my youth, I was probably didn't possess a lot of patience, but I certainly that condition certainly taught me patience, yeah. which was probably something we we can all benefit from. And you know, at the end of the day, now years later, decades later, that I've I've got it pretty stabilized and under control, thanks to many great coaches that I worked with. You know, it's even though it's something I still have to maintain. I feel like most nights I'm singing better, as good if not better than I did before. And, that, and that's a result of all the training because, you know, I'd, I'd never had any training before. So I learned a lot of things along the way, too, in the, in the process of trying to correct or overcome that condition. So Yeah, and who, who kept you grounded throughout that process? Because, like, you know, you were probably, at some stages, you must have got really frustrated and you would have had support from around you. Like, was there any any people in particular that you look back on now and say, wow, I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't have these people? Well, you know, it, it's happened over a long period of time. Um, you know, it's happened in the early 90s, and I, I don't think I really started getting a grasp on it until <clears throat> maybe the last five years or so. It's felt very stable. I mean, even though I toured, Prior to that, you know, it was very up and down. And some some nights or some tours, I'd be better than others. And there were periods where I didn't tour, and it was, you know, really challenging. But I think, you know, Savannah, my wife, just stood by me. You know, not, nobody yeah. had my back more than her. Mm -hmm. And you know, she, um, and when we were making the way life goes and recording vocals, she was producing a lot of my vocals on that record and sitting at the talk back button. And, you know, there was nights I just couldn't sing at all. There was something that I heard in my head I wanted to sing and, you know, I could stand on my head and, you know, do cartwheels or whatever to try and get it out. And it just wouldn't come out, you know, and there were nights she had to just tell me, you know, it's not happening tonight, you know, uh, let's just, you know, come back tomorrow or try it again later. And, you know, she was just really patient mm -hmm. with me and, you know, and, and that wasn't easy for her to, uh, 
to have to do that. But, you know, she, she just, she had my back, you know, through all of it and all the doctor's appointments and scans and, you know, all the crap I had to go through. So, yeah, fantastic. So <clears throat> before I let you go, Tom, I just got a couple of questions to ask you. Um, there's two particular concerts I want to, I want to ask you about your memories of Donington in 87. Okay. Well, that, that was like, you know, nothing can prepare you for that concert. And our manager tried to for, you know, months before we got there. And, uh, he just said, you know, it's just huge sea of people, you know, hundred thousand. And it's just, you know, the wildest, craziest, um, crowd that you're, that you will probably ever meet. And as much as they prepared us for that, I remember walking up the stairs of a big high stairs. You walk up to the stage and walk it out. And it was just like, it was just incredible. Yeah. Really, really incredible. The energy coming off the crowd was like nothing we had ever seen before. I was there. Were you? Yeah, I was, I, I went from Ireland. Um, it took me a while to get there, but I got there and it was amazing. Yeah, no, it, it was just, you know, the energy was great. Yeah. Really, really great. Yeah, and the other concert I want to ask you about is uh, the Moscow Music Peace Festival. What are your memories of that? Well, that's another very special. Probably, you know, people ask me what's the highlight of your career, you know, and it's it's really hard to pick one. I mean, I just, I love performing live, so the, the live shows are definitely, you know, you know, there's not a, there's no highlight in the studio. I'm going to say, well, that boy, that overdub was the highlight. <laughs> it usually comes back to shows, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I've loved all of them, you know. But the Moscow Music Peace Festival was a very special one to be a part of. You know, it was just kind of like a first for them. And um, you know, I think a lot of people refer to it as like the Woodstock, you know, of, for that country and. uh yeah, it was it was a really special event to be part of. Yeah, how, how bleak was Moscow at that time? Did you actually get a chance to to walk around it a bit? Have you been there recently? No, I've never been to Moscow. You've never been there. Well, it's like like night and day now. We went in 2015 with my solo band. We played over there, and it's yeah, it was um, not you know the the conveniences and things that we are, were used to here um, were not. You know, it just were not readily available. You know, um, so it was. Yeah, bleak's a good way to put it. Yeah, there was a documentary on uh, back home at the time. Mick Wall, the journalist, had, did it, and he interviewed Ozzy Osbourne. And there was a quote in it where Ozzy said that there's only two things to do in Moscow: is sniff car tires or drink vodka. Yeah, vodka was pretty popular. Um, you know, just food was was hard to come by. Um, the the uh, promoter or uh, Doc McGee put on the show, you know, he had the catering for us was set up down at the stadium and it was all trucked in from uh, London, from the Hard Rock. Mm-hmm. And that was all, you know, kind of in-house done by the promoter and, and the concert. And they had shuttles that ran from the hotel, um, you know, just constantly. And that's pretty much where everybody ate was over at the stadium. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the reports that I heard was when he went out, you know, I, I didn't really venture out to any of the local restaurants, but people said that they did. They said you could get borscht and vodka. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> what you could get. So I, I'm, that's, you know, I personally didn't experience that, but that's what I was told. So. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. So the, the clothing from the Night Songs album cover, do you still have mm-hmm. it? Um, I believe that was given to the Hard Rock. Okay. Cause, um, donated to the Hard Rock, that, that outfit. Yeah, because Johnny D, who I, I interviewed about a year and a half ago, he still has some of the clothes. And he said that his kids sometimes will open up the wardrobe and like they'll take it out and go, you didn't wear this, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff from that era that I still have in boxes up in the attic, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the Night Songs one went to the Hard Rock a while, okay. a while ago, I'm okay. pretty sure. All right, and the last question I have, Tom, is a Cinderella song you'd like your band to a- attempt now that you've never played live with Cinderella? Is there one? Um, hmm. Played at some point just about everything with Cinderella. You know, the the one song, the first year I was touring with my band, we did a song that Cinderella never did live, and it's called One for Rock and Roll. It was off of um, Heartbreak Station. Mm-hmm. And it's an odd tune, kind of country meets reggae kind of thing. But the lyric, very folky kind of lyric about what rock and roll means to me and to and what it's done to society and how it's changed society. And I've always really loved the song. Um, we never did it in, in its entirety with Cinderella. We used to sing like a verse and a chorus of it, um, Fred and I used to, on, on one of the tours. But we did the whole song in its entirety the first year I was out touring with my band and it, it went down really, really well. And that was really a lot of fun to do. Um, so kind of, I've, I've already done it and it would be that one. Okay. And we didn't, we didn't do it with Cinderella. And that's one that I've seen, you know, online, I see so many people, um, have tattoos that say one for rock and roll because the, the lyric apparently really has hit home with a lot of people. So that. That's kind of cool to see because that that lyric meant a lot to me. It was one of those ones that just kind of fell out one day. The whole thing. Um, it's like a lot. A lot of writers will tell you things come like dictation some days, you know. Yeah. And that that was one of them. So uh, yeah, that was fun to to play. Nice. Before I leave you go, do you do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got a, a Twitter which is Tom Kiefer Music, and Facebook which is Tom Kiefer official, I guess is what it's called. And the same on Instagram. It is a official Tom Kiefer or Tom Kiefer official. Something like that. Yeah. Are you active on all the social media? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I run them. Uh, okay. Some of the promotional stuff gets put up by, by uh, my management, but uh, you know, most of what's on there is from me. So Nice. And what do you think you're going to be in the studio next year recording or is it more tour? Yeah, we're shooting for, uh, we're going to tour behind the deluxe, uh, through, um, probably into next summer. And then we're hoping we've got our sights set on the fall of 18 to start on a, on a follow up to the way life goes. Fantastic. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure. Kind of glad to, kind of glad to have it back on the shelves now. And we're, and been having so much fun touring with this band. We're going to go a little bit longer. You know, it's been a, it's been a building process, you know, with the band out on the road because, it's grown so much from the first year. It was really like starting over the first year I went out with my own band mm-hmm. and it's gone from very small clubs to now where we're headlining or direct support on, you know, most of the major festivals and fairs here. So yeah. it's, been, it's been fun to, to watch that happen with the, with the new folks. Yeah. I get, people. I get the impression, Tom, just talking to you for the last 20 minutes, a half an hour that, Maybe you'd like to have a band name that you go under rather than go out as your own name. Would that be right? 
Well, we're we're I, yeah, I'm I'm kind of a band guy. I like being part of the gang, you know. Not um, I never wanted to be a solo artist. Um, so we've been really transitioning it into a fan started a few years back a hashtag uh, hashtag Kiefer band. And we've been seeing, we started seeing a lot of fans picking up on that. So we've actually made that. If, if you look, you know, all over the package, you'll see that that's kind of stamped in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Yeah. Uh, and that's become the name of the band. Nice. Uh, including the hashtag. And I, yeah. I think that that's unique. I don't think I've seen a band name yet with a hashtag on it. We, we actually have a backdrop that, that has hashtag keeper band. Nice. I've got. I've actually and got a fan. A fan started that somewhere on Twitter, so it, like it. it kind of had a cool, a cool ring to it, and it's. So I, I kind of put that on all my posts, and we put it on our backdrops, and it's on the record, and you know that's that's the name of the band, and we're kind of transitioning from you know my name to to that. So. Excellent. All right, Tom. Well, I'll leave you go and have a have a good rest of the day. All right, man. You too. Good talking to you. Yeah. Nice talking to you, Tom. Take care of yourself. You too, bro. Bye. Big thanks to Tom Kiefer for taking some time out of his day to talk to Richie all about their uh, their re-release of The Way Life Goes. And, you know, deluxe edition, CD, DVD, 15 bucks, can't beat that one. Lots of great stuff. If you like that kind of bluesy stuff, if you like me and you grew up on Aerosmith, there's definitely a 
a lot of seeds, a lot of Aerosmith influence on what Kiefer does. You know, you can definitely hear it back on Night Songs for sure, but a lot of other stuff too. But, but again, like I said, 15 bucks CD, DVD, get out of here. And of course, if you want to find out more about his tour dates, he's still touring in December and has uh, got some dates even scheduled right through April of next year. You can head up to TomKiefer.com. So we still got a bit of time left here on episode 359. And as promised, I said, uh, give you some more ideas for some uh, new albums that have just come out recently, October, November, and the beginning of this month. And I thought I would kick it off with a really awesome one. And that is the latest one from Jeff Scott Soto. It's called Retribution. He's got some great videos for this stuff up on YouTube, and uh, we actually do have an interview with Jeff in the can. Unfortunately, I do have to do a lot of audio work with it, so we haven't aired it yet. I am trying to carve out a good chunk of time where I can sit down and actually get that all worked out and make it happen. But in the meantime, you know, i got to let you know that... Uh, Definitely the guys put out an awesome new album, and uh, I thought, okay, first thing for the end of the show this week, I'm going to play the title track, Retribution, brand new one from Jeff Scott Soto. track or what and it's amazing i mean he's managed to get that solo album out and at the same time he's also pumped out uh, sons of apollo which is another killer one you know you got portnoy on there and bumblefoot and oh, just like that's a really cool album too it's a little different you know got shrinian doing his stuff on there and everything but still for him to be doing this and sons of apollo at the same time jeff is you know he's one of those guys just like russell allen he is just a prolific singer seems to be everywhere so the next one up is uh, it goes back to my reference of a band coming back. Talking about Madame X guys who were you know if you remember them way back eighty four eighty five originally founded by the Petrucci sisters Roxy and Maxine and uh, slowly built the band up and they put out uh, the one album 
And pretty much after that, it, it kind of faded away. In fact, well, probably part of the uh, the history of this band way back was at some point, uh, original vocalist Brett Kaiser was actually briefly replaced by, at that point, an unknown Canadian vocalist named, uh, named Sebastian Bach. I uh, don't know if a lot of folks know about that, but yep. But uh, anyways, they... Uh, they ended up getting back together again in 2014, and uh, so here we are all these years later. These guys are signed to uh, Dave Ellison's EMP label, and they finally have put out their sophomore album. It's called Monstrosity, and uh, just, you know, a bunch of good, honest tracks by uh, by this band, and you got some fast stuff. They even did a, uh, a, re- a re-recording of their 84 hit, High in High School, but yeah, for this week, thought I'd play a little track called Nitrous. So again, from the uh, sophomore effort from Madam X, proudly released by uh, Dave Ellefson's EMP label group here in the States, SPV over in Europe. You know, it's the pride of Detroit. We're talking Madam X and uh, like I said, their uh, sophomore one, it's called Monstrosity. And this one is Nitrous. <laughs> Heroes are dead or packing Okay, and if you're digging your Madam X, you can hook up with them on Facebook, facebook.com slash Madam X official, or at their website, madam-x.org. All right, just a few more minutes left on this week's show, and I figure, you know what? I got to get a little power metal in this week. Just give you a little taste of something else that is out there in uh, Iron Savior, a favorite band of mine. They were, uh, they were thinking, you know, we got albums that aren't available really anymore, and we can't really do reissues because of some legalities in there. So they decided they were going to do some re-recordings, give everything a sonic upgrade. And uh, so they have come out with Reforged Riding on Fire, brand new one out via AFM Records. 
Good stuff. And of course, as always, mixing duties handled by my buddy and former Focus on Metal guest, Pete Zeke. So, hey, everybody, this is Pete Zeke, speaking of Iron Savior, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. And don't forget, heavy metal never dies. So, 19 tracks of classic Iron Savior available as either a two CD digipack or also on double vinyl. You want to find out more about these guys? As always, it is Iron Savior. Com. So off of Reforged Riding on Fire, this one is Battering Ram. do it for yet another week of focus on metal big thanks again to our guest tom Kiefer. you might want to hit him up at tomkiefer.com so i'm not sure what is in store for next week i know there's a few things we've been working on who knows maybe it'll be another one like this week where we're going to uh, maybe spin an interview and then give you a reason to spend some more of your hard-earned metal dollars don't know till the time comes but uh, as far as this week goes that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.